Hey guys. Welcome, Hello. welcome, welcome. Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit. And we're up to episode. What are we up to episode? Any idea? 67. 67. 67. Yeah, right. Wow. This is 67. Who'd have thunk we'd go that bloody long? Yeah, exactly Ooh. right. Yeah. Anyway, tonight's a little bit different. Tonight we are talking with someone who knows all about yeast and fermentation solutions. So we're talking to Josh from Mogwai Labs. G'day, Josh. How are you, mate? Yeah, yeah. Good, Crafty. Thanks for having us on tonight. Oh, mate, no, it's uh, it's a pleasure. It's um, it's a different topic. It's uh, something which is very, very important to brewers, as we know, and also to distillers. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what we what we learn tonight, what we share. So, um, anyway, before we kick off, we tend to have a wee drink, and we and we tend to say what we are drinking. So I'll go first because I'm broadcasting from uh, a bedroom at Riverborne Distillery. I'm kneeling and I have the laptop set up on the bed. So this is why I look in a, in a very strange position. So I have one glass of whiskey and it's down here. And it happens to be a Riverborne whiskey. <laughs> so it's <laughs> Which one? Riverborne Ultimatum. Oh, right. Lovely. Called cool. The Challenge. So. <laughs> oh, oh, can't see. No. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Maverick, Maverick. Maverick from right. um, Iron. Was it Iron House down in Tasmania? Yep. The story about this is that it finished its maturation in a barrel, sloshing around on a fishing boat called Maverick for I think eighteen months or something like that. Hmm. Um, it's not one that I bought when I was down there, but um, I didn't opt out of something, and now I've got a bottle, which actually <laughs> I'm enjoying. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. We appreciate you. <laughs> we've all we've all been there, Todd. We've all been there. <laughs> um, what about you, Josh? What are you on? Uh, right. Well, I've um uh, I had a dig through the cupboard, and I've uh, I've found two drinks actually so the first one um my wife uh she had a little uh holiday over to the uk earlier in the year and around uh, the scotland area and uh, yeah 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 uh, got a bit of this i don't know a lot about uh the distillery so Lindor. i don't know if you can sort of have more insight lowlands lowlands yeah, it's a lowland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. I'll have to look that not, up. Not all that common, that one. Okay. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> you do see it around the 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 whiskey community, but it's not all that common. Um, mm. So yeah, excellent. Um, and another drink that I brought along. Sorry. Um, so this is sort of merging sort of brewing and wine and uh, sort of distilling worlds. Uh, so a local couple of local breweries uh, in, in the Illawarra have uh, brewed up this, uh, I'll call it a, a monster of a drink, to be fair. Mm. So it's an imperial stout wow. uh, called Nightingale by Principal Brewing in collaboration uh, with Barrel Shepherd in Wollongong, where the beer was, uh, an imperial stout was made, but then they then uh, sort of took it further and uh, 
got uh, bourbon staves soaked, uh, barrel staves soaked in bourbon, uh, right. put into the beer for about a week, a week or so, and then yep. further age the beer in uh, French oak for 12 months. And oh, wow. So it's, uh, yeah, so I'll crack, I don't know, I might need my wife to help me drink that one. What's the ABV on it? Yeah. Uh, can I getting up there. 7.1 standard drink. I can't actually find that. But generally after beer and that is aged in barrels, it normally sort of jumps up a percent of two as well. Yeah, so. right. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine that'd be close to around the sort of eight to nine percent, maybe even higher. Um, yeah, sounds good. Uh, um, yeah, well, we'll, we'll crack it a bit later during the, the purely um, out of coincidence. I'm also drinking the challenge. Wow, that is a coincidence. <laughs> you had no no idea what I was drinking. I had no well, idea. I had what you no were idea what you were drinking, uh, and I also happened to be drinking it in my Riverborne glass. Oh, so, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> I don't think Marty ever gave me a Riverborne glass, glass so I'm feeling a bit left out. Yeah. Uh, I just have to use my Blackgate one instead. Uh, see, I don't have one of those. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Have, yeah, anyway, let's let's kick it off. So, Josh, you're you've got a, a an interesting story. I mean, you've you've come from a, uh, a scientific background, then you've gone into commercial brewing. You had your own brewery, didn't you, if I recall right? Um, and then you've gone into what you're doing now with Mogwai Lab. So tell us a bit about where it all started and why you've ended up where you are now with Mogwai Labs. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, firstly, just a, sort of a a uh, quick uh, word on the actual business. So, yeah, the, the business Mogwai Labs, we're a liquid yeast lab uh, based in the Illawarra region um, of New South Wales. And, uh, yeah, we, we provide uh, liquid yeast pitches uh, to commercial brewers and uh, other professional uh, beverage makers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, hopefully, hoping to sort of move into the, the homebrew sector uh, uh, potentially in the, in the new year and then sort of pairing uh uh these products with uh quality control services um and yeah we're, we're based out of the university of wollongong um we are a startup business uh we've been going since uh 2020 so probably not a, a startup phase anymore sort of getting into sort of the uh, you know growing growth stage i guess and then um mm. that's sort of uh, where we're at and uh i guess at the moment yeah we are very um uh brewer brewer yeast heavy um, and what we want to do is uh, uh, we want to focus on 100% of the, of the brewing spectrum so yeah. um, what I mean by that is like uh, having a you know a very diverse range of, of yeast and bacteria strains um, starting with a lot of common domesticated strains that are you know that you come across in 90% of um, your everyday beers um, and then sort of moving into classical um uh, classical wild strains, I'll classify them as. So sort right. of, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeast and bacteria that comes out of like sort of uh, classical beer styles, like wild ales from Belgium, for example. Um, Non-conventional strains, so um, wild strains that are, are non-saccharomyces that um, have uh, potential in the in the beverage sector. So pitchier, 
things like that. And then sort of moving into the um, foraged yeast space, which sort of um, encompasses, uh, you know, uh, wild yeast um, as well. And that's where we're sort of going out to sort of local areas, uh, foraging, and, uh, yeah, yeah, either doing it uh, independently or working um, with, uh, you know, other, other beverage makers um, to, yeah, see what we can get and sort of create or uh, enable uh, beverage makers the ability to create truly localised uh, products and with a good story. Mm. Yeah. So, so the, the, the local angle, which is a, you know, a very important part, they'd be, I imagine craft brewers would be very, very receptive uh, to that. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, like a, a lot of a lot of um, uh, other brewers like the idea of it. I mean, it's not yeah. for everyone as well, either based off their, their business business model. Um, uh, and yeah, and or you know, like some people generally are, they want to get involved with it. Um, yeah. Again, it's it's sort of a it's not something that you can sort of knock over in a month's time. It is sort of a, a ongoing project that sort of takes you know years to develop. Um, yeah. But yeah. Right. So I guess jumping right right into it, when you say years to to develop, are you, are you talking about I've got a, a, a brewery, I want to come up with the flavour of my brewery or the region that I'm from or whatever it may be uh, based on the yeast of the area? It takes how does it take years to build that profile and sort of evolve the yeast or is it just, uh... Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, years might be a bit of an exaggeration, I guess, but like it's, it's, you know, six months to, to 12 months probably to, to, you right. know, like go out, isolate some yeast strains. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, either you're going to come back with pure culture or a, or a, or a mixed culture that, uh, that uh, potentially that you could work with um, in your brewery mm. setting. Um, and then in terms right. of like, uh, with these sort of projects, it's like you can go as far as uh, you want to go with it in terms of just like further analysis, in terms of like uh, flavour profiles uh, and just learning more about these yeasts uh, by themselves or in culture. Mm. So how do you find out, how do you, how do you discover the flavour profile of a yeast? I'm imagining, which is dangerous, <laughs> I'm imagining that you do small batch brews of a a, a, a base malt. Um, you throw your, your 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 single strain yeast that you're trying to um, analyze. Let that ferment, and then have a little of a tasty, tasty. Um, uh, yeah, in its in, a, in its simplest sense, that's that's uh, pretty much it. Like uh, your nose doesn't lie. And uh, either do, do your taste buds, you know. Um, yeah, you've got to have balls of steel to do that. Uh, you, you're, you're selective. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stuff you know you're not to not to go near. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the time, you well, possibly like, won't try it. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff, and like we do have a, a like a, a set of like pre-screening and and selection criteria to get the strains uh, to that step. Um, so it's not like we're just like going, you know, uh, you know, like sort of step going in and drinking, yeah, going in wild and, and tasting this stuff. Yeah. So it's going to pass a few sort of uh, critical, like even control points, safety points uh, before it even gets yeah. to that step. 
How do you determine? So, so how do you go about harvesting the yeast when you get out in the field? Mm. Yeah, there's a um, so there's a lot of um, sort of well-known methods. So it's not recreating the the wheel by by any means. Um, and you know, method one is where you just go out and take a small picking of, of a bit of fruit, or it could be a bit of bark, a leaf, a flower dirt whatever whatever is of interest in very small amounts and then you sort of you can take that back and then start trying to grow it up in your your selection media or like brewer's wort uh, essentially um other methods is where you can go out and take actual swabs sterile swabs of the material of interest um so uh, less intrusive um where yeah essentially just a sterile cotton bud um yeah. And uh, another method that is quite popular is where you actually sort of put out like a, a selection media or brewer's wort sort of out in the, a field under, a, you know, under a fruit tree, for example, or out in the garden. And then you might cover it with like some thin netting mesh or something just to stop bugs and stuff to go in there and you leave it overnight. And then the next day you, you collect that sample and uh, sort of see if it starts fermenting. Mm. So not the way we try the crafting. No, <laughs> there's probably there's probably a whole bunch of other methods though. Like that's just sort of okay. Like, You're gonna have to elaborate on how you tried because <laughs> I don't know. I just tuned up pretty well that actually. It, it, it was uh, a very small amount of uh, wort in a in a jar um, with some mesh over the top, but I left it too long, um, and, and what was in in there was not attractive, so didn't get any further than that. Where did you put the jar? Did you did you keep it in your caravan? All over the place. All over the place. In the multiple, in the shed, outside the shed, by um, by a lemon tree, uh, by a rosemary bush, um, right. all in all in the general area. And this is going back a couple of years, and yeah, yeah it's definitely something if you're going to do it you got to do it right and that's why you know, people like josh and you know enlisting people who know exactly what they're doing mm. it's uh, it's it's the, the way to go so so Sorry. besides besides the the attraction of uh cultivating something which is local what what are other reasons that that, that people are, are doing it in the brewing sector uh just uh uh, the drive for you know uh, the, the brewing sector or just uh, you know our fermented beverage sector period yep. is a, it's an extremely innovative space where yep. um you know uh, people are just constantly sort of pushing themselves to um you know sort of unlock new flavor combos and and new products styles of of, of beer for example um yeah right. i just think innovative it's sort of a, it's a creative it's yeah it's just being creative so it's adding another dimension to that creativity of brewing and hops and uh, different barleys. Does does yeast have that big a variety in it? Uh, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so. yeah um, I like to Le think leading so. Question, <laughs> leading question there, really. Because yeah. um, there seems to be an infinite number of places to get yeast and strains of yeast that could do something or do nothing how do you whittle it down to the ones that that are good 
in a in a, from forage samples? Do you mean even even with your um your or your your core range there? Oh right, how yeah. That, look, um, how did you establish your core range? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, like uh, yeast and fermentation. So, I mean, it's a uh, it's something that you know, like humankind that we've been uh, well aware of and practicing um, for for thousands of years. And um, uh, so, yeah, fermentation and in its like sort of basic uh, in its most basic definition is where you you know you you take a, a simple sugar. Uh, you add yeast, and then with energy, you uh, you end up with uh, ethanol or you know, an alcohol and um, and carbon dioxide. And uh, the beautiful beautiful thing with this is like um, uh, aside from creating those those two products, is like it also uh, can produce like over five hundred different flavor compounds. And it's all those flavor compounds that um have enabled, you know, um, you know, people around the world to uh, uh, sort of create unique styles of, of beer that are unique to that particular uh, region of, of the world. And uh, with time, um, we just keep getting better and better at sort of being able to manipulate um, uh, through either yeast selection or, you know, manipulating or changing our, our say, brewing processes in terms of how to uh, bring out particular flavors that we're, we're looking for in our end product. Um, and yeah, look, there are like over 1500, you know, different species of, um, of yeast, but we're, but from a commercial industrial perspective, like we're only using like a, a really, really small percentage of that. Um, so like baker's yeast, brewer's yeast, distiller's yeast, a lot of that is just the, you know, the, the same species of yeast. And it's just, it shows you how diverse even those species are because even though they're the same species, the flavour differential between them is absolutely huge. I mean, uh, the prime example of this, I'm going to keep using beer examples, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, no, that's uh, fine. That's good. Still, uh, uh, but, like, you know, uh, a species of yeast, that it'll be the same, and you can drink a Belgian ale or a, a clean uh, Californian ale uh, from, from the States, even though it's the same species, but you'd, put them side by side and you know one's like phenolic and spicy and the other one it'll be like neutral and you're just getting you know like a clean clean beer what's so, driving um, the differences with the same species then why are they so well i mean that's where like yeah like evolution yeah, and, and, and stuff like that where the um where these species become sort of their own sort of like a like a subspecies essentially mm. or a strain um, yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah, when they um, they will just end up sort of elevating particular flavor profiles uh, consistently compared to to other ones. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah, and then sort of to to go back to like where the strain collection sort of comes from and that it's um so uh, a lot of uh, the famous breweries or distilleries and, and and that around the world they have these like uh, uh, unique flavoring flavoured products or beers or whatever and a lot of that comes down to that uh, yeast strain so um, and all these different strains are like uh, they're classics for a reason and they're all stored at you know particular yeast banks and um and things like that um around the world for people to have access to um so i've got a 
good collection of, um, I guess, like core classical strains for, for people that uh, want to utilise those strains either to replicate famous styles of beer or to yeah. try and um, innovate with that yeast, knowing the, the that particular flavour profile. Mm. Mm. So we, once, you, once you've established a, a, a yeast strain and you commercialise it, so you're producing it and generation to generation to generation, do you get drift? Do you do, mm. Does the flavour profile change? And, and if it does, how, from the parent, so to speak, how do you maintain that, that, that point of uniqueness? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, um, over time and, like, you know, we're talking, like, over hundreds and hundreds of, of generations, that flavour yeah. profile will definitely slightly start swinging. Right. Um, that's sort of the uh, the importance of um, of pure culture and sort of being connected uh, to yeast labs. So uh, brewer, uh, breweries that are uh, they've got their core range sort of ales and lagers um, and stuff. They will always well, it's common practice for them to be consistently using the same pure cultured yeast, and you can guarantee that um, pure culture by always going back to the source where it's only grown up you know, only a couple of generations before it goes into their beer or, or their, yeah. their, their spirit. Um, so, so and some breweries will push that um, further than others where they will, you know, they'll continue to re-pitch their yeast up to, yep. you know, like 10, 20 generations maybe. That's getting excessive. But, um, yeah, and that, uh, but then that sort of uh, passes the buck on to, their actual brewing practices and what they're comfortable with in terms of flavor thresholds and uh and that yeah so uh, yeah for core range beers and things like that people want to be as consistent as possible and that's where you know keeping their their yeast for only a couple of generations is is their ideal how how do you how do you hold a generation um because to me a yeast is a living changing thing it, it lives it dies it, uh, it, it replicates and uh, the cycle goes on how how do you keep it as a a consistent base strain yeah you know, so like a living, um, a living creature so to speak yes well uh sort of like the uh the, the austin powers movies where you know you, you, you get they get frozen down and uh yep. um they, uh, you know, like say if someone orders some some yeast through me, it will like, you know, like the, the first process is to, you know, uh, pull that sample, which is essentially in like a small little tube, like from a really cold minus 80 freezer. And then it, um, it'll go on to like, a, like a, an agar plate. And then then you start your, your propagation steps. And they're always going to be set in stone, uh, essentially. So, you know, sort of exactly how many generations that you have. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right. So somewhere there is an awful lot of uh, stored, banked yeast for all those major core styles that people want to replicate. Um, like if you run out, you've, you, you forgot to check the fridge and see how much you've got left in there <laughs> and, and your, your test tubes run out uh, of your base, you've got to then go to somewhere to get it and... Um, is there a is there a global authority that holds it all, or is it the yeast authority? Yes, no. <laughs> you know, 
Um, no, like, good question. It's, um, no, look, there's a whole bunch of, like, established biobanks and yeast uh, collections um, around the world. And, um, you know, some people, uh, they do grant you access or you can, you know, yeah. you, you can pay for those strains because um, they are public access. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that... Uh, I'm looking after my yeast well enough that uh, I <laughs> there's always going to be enough tubes um, in the fridge, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, that that would be my management practices. Would would I I go all of a sudden open up the fridge and go, oh fuck, I've run out of that one. <laughs> Who do I call now? <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you decide to open up Mogwai, like? So you, you've 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 had a brewery, you've you've been in, uh, uh, in and around yeast for a while. How did then Mogwai start? What was the inspiration for that? Oh right. Um, how far? How much whiskey do you have to drink? <laughs> I have an awful lot of whiskey to drink. <laughs> One or two. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, sort of, even like, sort of post, um, like, I guess, sort of where I back from uh, where I, I grew up is essentially where it all began. Like, so my, um, I come from a small little village uh, called Illabo, um, which is out in the, in the Riverina, um, Southwest Slopes, sort of between Juni and Cootamundra. So mm -hmm. just envision like a one pub town with like 50 or, or 70 people there. And my folks owned the pub there uh, when I was growing up from like from seven until I guess like my early twenties, um, I think off the top of my head. So sort of growing up um, in that area, sort of the, the pub is like sort of the, the heart of the community. Um, yeah. Well, it was definitely uh, back then where, you know, like the whole community would sort of come together there for, you know, like, a, you know, village events, whether it's a local show or the, the music festival or anything, or, you know, like the, the you know, like the farmers, the, the working class people, you know, like the mechanics and stuff um, would all sort of congregate there. Um, so sort of learning uh, from an early age or growing up with it, uh, sort of the, the power of uh, community and what can be done, shared, I guess, like over over a beer, um, mm -hmm. essentially. I saw sort of a power and a romantic sort of side to that. Um, yeah. And then sort of moving on to, like, so I, I went and studied biology at the University of Wollongong. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, sort of at that point where like a, a lot of people do they start home brewing to make um you know cheap beer because that's mm. the, the cheapest way to to get drunk and all that sort of stuff and then um uh it was where i met my my now wife and uh there was actually interactions with um her family that sort of um was a real sort of spark plug moment in terms of sort of delving more into a a career and sort of obsession i guess uh, with beer and other fermented products. So, um, I mean, up until then, I was only drinking, like, like uh, you know, the, the four taps that were on sale at my local pub where I grew up, you know, like it was like Melbourne Bitter and Rishi's and, yep. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, my wife's um, family, they're, they're English. They sort of mm -hmm. moved over to Australia in, in the early 80s. Um, and when they, like, you know, when you first meet... Um, uh, get to meet and you know they see what you're drinking and they were horrified that I was you know drinking like sucking on a VB or whatever the, the hell it was at the time and uh, yeah. it was that conversation and then like sort of moving on sort of you know going over to the Europe and UK and traveling and sort of experiencing um, you know uh, different beers from around the world 
um, and sort of you know, and the flavor profiles and, and and stuff and sort of realizing there's a there's a lot more um, uh, you know to this uh, fermented beverage than uh than just the the four taps at the local um, pub where I grew up. Um, and yeah, so and I guess like sort of from there, like my um, curiosity was like completely, um, yeah, sort of taken over. And then the home brewing gets more and more serious. I guess you know, um, uh, as as it does, you start spending a lot more money on uh, you know ingredients, homebrew equipment, um, and then yep. uh, you 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 know you you find good friends uh, through that community. I started uh, home brewing with. Um, a couple of uh, good friends from my um, best mates from high school, and then um, that led to um, sort of starting up a brewing company, um, a gypsy beer business that we called Merchant Brewing, um, and that was sort of between the, I want to say like 2014 to, to 2018, uh, based around the, the inner west of Sydney, and sort of at the time then um, there was only probably uh, there was two craft breweries in the area, so Young Henry's being one, and then um, Batch was just opening their doors. Um, I remember wow. driving from the south coast and sort of going along Sydenham Road and going, what is that? And, yeah, it was Batch just yeah. opening the doors. Yeah. Going in there, there was nothing that um, – oh, everything was just made of, like, a couple of pallets. There was a few tanks in mm. the corner, and, um, yeah, so I thought it was absolutely yep. amazing. Um, wow, you're part of history, part of early history then. Uh, uh, yeah, and, like, just, like, Young Henry's back uh, – so uh, in their early days, uh, they, I guess, like before RSA laws become a little bit more strict, all their local drinkers and that, they had a wall where all their steins and glasses for their locals would have their own sort of signature glass. So when you go in there yeah. for a beer, you grab your... I remember that wall well. Yeah, so that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and then just sort of went made that sort of uh, move into um, commercial brewing uh, yeah, with, with my friends, um, just through winning a homebrew comp. Um, and then, yeah, got the ball rolling. And then um, it was just uh, uh, during that uh, point in time where we were trying to do all these commercial batches at different breweries through Sydney or down the south coast and uh, trying to replicate homebrew recipes on a commercial scale is uh, one thing that we found out was like a little bit difficult at times, particularly when you're adding extra weird little ingredients like coconut or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that also came down to yeast selection where we realised that uh, it was really hard to get commercial quantities of the yeast or liquid yeast that we wanted to use uh, in that beer. So at the time, um, yeah, all liquid yeast uh, came from overseas. And I guess that was sort of the, the light bulb moment for me um, uh, to start thinking about yeast. So I guess, like, as well, I should mention, I am a biologist by trade, so while whole doing um, the whole... Uh, brewing thing i um, had a like a, a research position in a cancer a telling me cancer research lab out at western sydney uh for the children's medical research institute um right. the fundraising day genes for genes day a lot of people are familiar with yep yeah um, yeah and then from there it was trying to like it was a, a really nice position that i liked and uh, uh difficult decisions of trying to pull up stumps on um you know the brewing uh, my day job with research and sort of uh, chasing uh, this uh, uh, this yeast dream, essentially, and mm. that involved me sort of going over to the States and Canada uh, for a period of time and sort of exploring already set up liquid yeast labs, um, yeah, and sort of seeing the viability of if I could actually get it to work over here in Australia. And then finally 2020 when uh, COVID ticked over, we uh, yep. 
uh, I decided to you know get business plan rolling and uh, move down, move back down to the Illawarra and uh, yeah, set up shop. Right. So what is what is the shop? What's your facility? Um, how do you? How does it all work? How do you, where where are you doing all of this? Yeah, so we've um, uh, we've got an affiliation with uh, the University of Wollongong. So I've uh, uh, I've got lab space in one of their uh, uh, research labs. Pardon me. Uh, essentially, um, at the university. Um, yeah, and that's just where everything um, happens. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess uh, yeah. So. Uh, which is great, and uh, want to obviously continue on that sort of um, that uh, partnership uh, relationship, uh, and sort of delve more into research uh, side of things. But then also, currently at a, uh, I guess a fork in the road, and working out on how to expand the, the business and sort of get our own sort of uh, uh, industrial sort of more of a manufacturing plant sort of set up, still in the Illawarra area still keeping the lab space at the university, but just so we can sort of significantly sort of increase production and, um, you know, get yeast out uh, to, to more people. Yeah, right. So what is the difference between um, uh, a little yeast, dry yeast packet that I can get um, versus a, a liquid yeast? What are the, the benefits of going the liquid route over the dry route? Yeah, look, I mean, I both have, like, pros and cons, and, it, yeah, it really depends on, um, you know, even personal preference and, and sort of um, what circumstances that you're in. Um, liquid yeast has the uh, – the uh, it's best uh, – the, the most positive thing with liquid yeast is that you're, you're getting fresher pitches, um, and so – and then with that um, – Generally, you are getting a more reliable cell count and, and things like that. You can argue for like reduced lag time, so for quicker, healthier fermentations. And strain selection is, is the big one. So, uh, well, dried yeast, uh, uh, I don't want to talk for, for other businesses. I mean, they are getting better with their range and stuff, but it'll always be limited um, compared to, to liquid yeast. So um, I guess like an example for us is like even though we've got like 40, about 40 strains, posted uh, online on our website uh, we have hundreds you know stored in our biobank and it probably at any stage we could it's easy for us to grow up any size possible for for anyone if um if requested mm -hmm. yeah right and uh i guess like for like for dried yeast though like I, I won't be completely biased toward towards liquid and stuff but um you know like so dried yeast um uh is more shelf stable um so you can sort of like beat it around the bush a bit more it can last a bit longer so um it won't go it won't lose its viability as quickly uh, compared to, to fresh liquid yeast which has to be kept cold and uh there are benefits to um using dried yeast because it normally has like sort of built-in sterile and oxygen um better yeah sterols and oxygen um uh, sort of built into it so if you are going to sort of do the pitch and ditch method, essentially, you know, where you, you don't have to think about adding particular dosages of oxygen or anything like that, um, you'll probably have a much easier time with dried yeast compared to liquid. Right. But if you then... So you can't just, sort of, just stick it in the post and send it off around the country. 
Uh, I have been. Yeah, there is. Like, there is, like, express posts and, you know, like, uh, you know, like just a whole bunch of ice packs and uh, yeah. try, to, try to go, like, styrofoam free and we've got, like, wool packaging, like, recycled yes. uh, wool insulation. Oh, yeah. And, yep. yeah, so we can generally get it around the country anywhere. Like, East Coast is generally within 24 hours um, from, to metro areas and then, you know, up to maybe three days. Um, yeah. Are there ever any... Um, biosecurity you, concerns of of shipping yeasts around the country and around the world. What's that? Sorry, are there any ever uh, biosecurity concerns uh, or or issues shipping yeast around the country or around the world? Um, so that was sort of a, a I guess like a one of the reasons for me to sort of start the business because uh, at the time, like yeah, like shipping uh, liquid yeast in from from the states or um, into Australia, uh, generally or it'd be common for that yeast to like get pulled up at customs, and because it is liquid yeast, uh, it would sit there for you know a period of time, and uh, it'd, yeah, it wouldn't be um, uh, as yeah. as good or as effective um, for the customer yeah. to actually clear customs. So we don't have to deal with that sort of stuff on a national level. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Sorry, Carl, yeah. I'll cut you off. Yeah, that's all right. No, my question was more about um, from a business perspective. So how how are you uh, building your business, Josh? Is it word of, word of mouth? Is it testimonies? Or are you getting out there and... Uh, meeting with brewers you mentioned the community before so by the sounds of it you're you're well into the brewing community so how do you get your name out there how do you get mogwai labs uh, yeah i mean it's been like um so i mean essentially i've only been selling yeast for about 18 months um right and a lot of this is and because my capacity is quite small at this point in time um due to you know the, the size of the lab restrictions um yeah. There's only yeah. There's only so much yeast that I can I can sell. So uh, I guess it's in one way it's a positive that I haven't really had to push sort of like a like have a, a thorough sort of marketing campaign or, or anything like that. So a lot of it is just uh, word of mouth at the moment. Um, yeah. And sort of like you know I've started sort of in the Illawarra hub and sort of just expanded out um, sort of primarily to to the east coast now. Mm. So yeah. so do you end up traveling around the country quite a bit to to do these local projects or um... uh not i mean there's been a lot of talk about that like starting to you know like get down the south coast and um uh yeah so there's still quite a just a local drive uh, for that at the moment but um yeah i mean yeah. in the future i'm hoping to you know sort of do this in, in a lot of states i mean that will be a, a an issue actually the biosecurity of bringing you know different plants and swabs and things like that mm. back into to new south wales so um yep. but, yeah we'll cross that bridge once we once we get to it yeah yeah is there is there scope or is it feasible for um for people to to send you stuff for you to culture from um obviously i'm yeah. struggling on how to best um get it to you in a in an optimal condition uh, but if someone's up in 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 northern Queensland, for example, and wants to get a a, a local sample um, uh, culture to see what's there, can they just send you a package of of, of a of a bunch of flowers or some 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 
special leaves. Special leaves or a bit of dirt or a, I don't know. Uh, something uh, Ethereum, around I guess they can try. <laughs> um, there's always, yeah, they can always try. I mean, like another part of the, this project as well is like um, not doing everything for the for the brewer or the, or the business, but actually like just having conversations and like going like, okay, get the, you know, get the ball started with you where you go out and forage and try to grow up stuff, mm -hmm. you know, at, at your space. And then like mm -hmm. once you're a few steps down the line where that you think that you've got like a, a nice tasting culture, that's where it, a sample could potentially be, you know, sent back down to us and, and banked as like a, a brewer's mm -hmm. yeast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, does that just extrapolating on that side of things? But I think Crafty, because he's in the middle of nowhere, um, <laughs> the, the, the on the other side of the planet or something right now. Yeah, he's on um, Riverborn's on on uh, Starlink, uh, so the satellite's probably moved out of the way now, and that's why Crafty's just dropped off. <laughs> <laughs> just like that, um, poor. Yeah, just like that, he's and he's gone. He's gone. Who knows whether he'll come back? But we don't need him anyway. Yeah. Uh, so now, if he, he's he's disrupted my train of thought now. But um, uh, is there to get people on the path to culturing their own yeast or or starting that that process for you to then take later on to scale? Um, what sort of time and costs, how long is a piece of drink question, of course, but what's involved for someone starting that that process? Is it just, uh, as you said, sending out your cultures and uh, trying to capture something and then trying to culture it yourself? Um, and then once you think you've got somewhere, then bring it to you? Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, what that, what I that guess like... Yeah, I mean, like, um, I mean, like, currently, like, uh, for like local projects and stuff, it's all sort of done in like a collaboration uh, space where um, you sort of go out and you, you're sort of doing stuff together. Where it's a bushwalk. I mean, that's what foraging yeah. is. Uh, uh, most of the time, it's just a nice walk where you're, you know, taking a couple of samples from from here and there, right? Um, and then, like, more of the extensive harder work is like, oh yeah, once you um, sort of get back to the lab and start growing it and starting to try and make sense of the, the madness that you've uh, got growing in all your little tubes or, or, or whatever it is, you know, and like, I mean, in terms of success rates and stuff, it is like a very uh, low percentage um, yeah. sort of hit or miss. So where you're looking at both flavor potential, but then also like fermentation potential as well. So, yeah, yeah. And then, like, a, a mix of both. So, you have like strains that are, you know, they might have a low fermentation potential, but they might be throwing off this, you know, beautiful floral aromas, for example. So, you're like, oh, okay, that yeast does that. There might be a, a strain that, you know, might be a little bit phenolic, but it might just, you know, eat absolutely everything. And you're like, okay, so maybe if we combine those two, you know, and you might have like a, a nice, fully fermentable um beverage um yeah so i mean just yeah it's going down a rabbit hole of different options and, and possibilities and are there yeasts that don't produce ethanol as a byproduct um yeah look there's a lot of like there's there's strains that um uh so a lot of strains found in nature um they are uh, they can only metabolize simple sugars like mm -hmm. like glucose 
um, and they struggle uh, once the you know the, the, your sugars get more complex, where it turns into a maltose or a maltose triose. So that's like a, a real issue that, um, uh, well, I guess like a complication that uh, brewers um, uh, have when they're trying to forage for strains um, and and create actual beer with them is that uh, a lot of wild strains can't can't handle the the complex sugar profile that uh that is present in wort while um if you're to to make like a you know like a, a simple cider or something like that because it is like a, a simple a more simple sugar composition um yeah you'll have more success yeah mm. right okay so, uh, so i guess like in the in the non-alcoholic space so like there's a bunch of strains out there that uh they can only metabolize uh glucose and and nothing yeah. else so that's roughly like 15 percent of, of like a of standard wort composition right so it'll only ferment 15 percent of that wort which will give you a low a very low alcohol product and then right. with other you know technique brewing techniques you can end up creating a low alcoholic beer with mm. a, yeah, a non-conventional um yeast strain yeah right yeah hmm interesting just on on that um you talk about yeast i'd like to talk about bacteria uh if, if we could because bacteria has negative connotations for for a lot of people um and from a brewing perspective from a distilling perspective you know with wild yeast and 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 uh bacteria bac bacteria is interesting so can you elaborate on bacteria and and in your opinion how it works in brewing or does not work or can work um and the and the importance of it for some some type some styles of beer yeah yeah of course yeah it's a it's a good question and yeah it definitely does get like a because i guess it's like it's um considered a like a major contamination for yeah. for a majority yeah. of breweries and and, and and beer styles and, and whatnot um, but it does have a place in in wild beer and um, and certain styles. So like uh, Berliner Weiss or like kettle sours, right through to like complex sort of mixed fermentation beers. And that's where um, sort of the the bacteria that's used uh, uh, in brewing primarily is like it'll be acid producing um, of some sort of variety. So like a Lactobacillus or a Pediococcus or or something like that. And the idea is so that it will, yeah, it uh, it will hardly uh, sort of like ferment away. Or some strains have minor um, profit uh, potential to do that, but like it is to inject an acid profile into the beer. So, and it's quite common for for breweries to, you know, when they're creating these styles of beer where they want to create like a sour profile, um, you know, mixed in with fruit or you know or, or whatever. And it's and then those you know uh, depending on how complex you want to go like you know like throwing in a whole bunch of these acid producing bacterias um, uh, will just you know like you're, you're producing different acid types that'll create different flavor profiles and then you you're going down that rabbit hole. Mm. God, that between between the yeast and the um, and the bacterias, there just seems to be a never ending. Uh, never-ending potential for for different flavors to come out. What's the strangest flavor that you've had that wasn't awful? The strangest flavor that you've had come out of a, a culture. Uh, uh, 
I don't know if I can answer that. I've, I've had a, a, a lot of awful, I can definitely <laughs> say that with confidence. Yeah. Um, are, they, are they often um, sort of, do they sneak up on you where on the nose it's not too bad, but then you taste it and you just want to throw up or? Uh, uh, I generally look, uh, if it smells bad, I'm probably not putting it in my mouth, even though like, <laughs> I mean, that's, there's, there's a reason why you, like, you, can, yeah. you can go down the, you can, I mean, yeah, even though your stuff can like initially smell bad due to like bacteria and stuff, there is ways that, you know, potentially you can alter that flavor profile with different steps down the line. But um, at the moment, like um, I'm just, if it smells bad, it's sort of either it will get frozen down again for another day for me to think about, or um, it'll just be, uh, yeah, down into the, 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 the drain essentially. Because yeah. blue cheese, obviously it's mold, but smells like ass and yet it can taste quite good yeah so i'd imagine there's a similar there's definitely so i imagine you, you you would come across something similar uh with your yeast profiles as well um how do you get around that do you just have to at sometimes do you think it could be good and you just need to to sort of struggle through it, or uh, is that just? Uh, well, I mean, like uh, these are just like characterization tests, yep. I guess. So, like, it's more about just sort of knowing what that you know particular strain does, and then um, mm -hmm. if a time ever comes up where uh, you know an innovative uh, you know beverage maker such as yourself be like, I'm looking for for this, and I'm like, ah, oh, I've got just the you know the, the strain for mm -hmm. you to play with. Yeah, yeah, you never right. know. Yeah. yeah. So, do you have the ability to make your own Vegemite? Uh, well, in theory, yes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on the cards, though. I'm not sure. Uh, no, no. No, no, um, not, no. no, no thoughts of doing a Moggy Mite? <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've had a couple of questions come through that we should probably get into. Uh, William. Uh, William Rule, hi, Will, has uh, chimed in. Do you do anything uh, in somewhat alternative distilling spaces? Is you making vodka using lactose from milk? Mm. Uh, I have not. No, but that's a, yeah, that's a wild idea. I like it. Because mm. there's, there's the, in Tassie, there's the vodka made from sheep's whey. Right, okay. Um, which I don't understand and I need to read into how it works, but it's a, it's a black bottle with sheep's way vodka or something on it. Um, I'll have to dig it up and I'll, I'll have a little search. While I'm doing that... Um, I will say, though, uh, in terms of lactose, a lot of yeast strains do struggle um, fermenting that. Mm. So... From a base uh, perspective, I'm not sure if that would work for a, 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 yeah, a lot of a lot of generic strains. Right, they struggle with the, the with the uh, not being able to process lactose. So, like, right. there's a lot of styles of beer. Lactose intolerance. Uh, yeah, that that that. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of beer styles out there where they call it like a milk stout, or they yep. all add lactose to to sweeten the beer because the yeast can't process it. Yeah. Ah. 
Uh, all right. And Nick has chimed in saying, are you, um, what excites you more, top or bottom? Fermenting <laughs> years. Oh, it depends on what day you ask me. I, I sort of chop and change on, 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 on the top and bottom. Explain. Can you explain the difference between a top and bottom other than one's fermenting at the top and one's fermenting at the bottom? Why is it doing that? Uh, yeah, they're, they're um, I mean, generally speaking, they're, um, they're, they're different species of yeast um, is like the, the, the basic um, answer for that one. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what do you find the differences as a, as a category of yeast, top fermenting versus bottom fermenting? What are the generalized characteristic differences of those? Uh, yeah, so like top fermenting yeasts, uh, they're sort of known for producing more like, or people explore sort of more elevated uh, flavor profiles, um, I'll say. They prefer warmer temperatures so they can, uh, in theory, produce like beers quicker. Um, yeah, compared to sort of um, bottom fermenting strains. So would a top fermenting be a distiller's yeast where it can be a bit more forgiving uh, with temperatures? Uh, and will ferment a bit faster? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that said, like, I mean, the temperature ranges with, uh, I guess, like bottom and top fermenting yeasts. Uh, I mean, their happy spots probably realistically would be around 30 degrees. Um, if you weren't taking flavour profile into consideration. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, the reason, you know, lagers are fermented cold at those sort of, like, yeah, lower temperatures is it's, it's keeping that flavour profile in check. And then, mm. like, the ales, even though it's called warm, is still quite um, a little bit chilly, essentially, for, mm. for, for ale yeast at that sort of, you know, 18, 20 degree mark or, or whatever it is. So, you, yeah. by keeping it colder, yeah. you are slowing down the process uh yeah you're, you're slowing slowing down um sort of how quick it's replicating and, and and propagating along and um but you're just keeping your those flavor profiles in check so you've got like a nicer tasting beverage you know particularly more important for you know if you're trying to create like a neutral flavored product but, um i guess that's where moving into your realm of things where you um potentially might want to stress the yeast out or sort of move into the like warmer temperature profiles where it might be throwing more phenolics or, you know, fusel alcohols or, or things like that. That stuff's going to be elevated at, at you know, uh, at the higher end of the, the temperature range, you know, and higher than like a, a typical brewing strange strain temperature range. Mm. Well, that, that leads in nicely to my question. So, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago, um, there was a bit of dialogue on Norwegian farmhouse yeast, Spike and, and others, and there, but there wasn't a lot on the net. And then um, a few years later, it was everywhere, and brewers were exploring it left, right and centre. What was the buzz from a brewing perspective around Norwegian um, farmhouse yeast? I know from a distiller's standpoint, it was they ferment uh, they ferment cleaner at higher temperatures. So if if you didn't have good temperature control, uh, it, it was it was a, a viable yeast. But from a brewer's perspective, what what was the excitement, the buzz around? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, that like a you know being able to ferment at um, you know really high temperatures where you can get like for a lot of those strains like clean 
uh, flavor profiles, you know, yeah. like, or, you know, with just notes of, you know, tropical fruit or, you know, orange or, you know, things like that. So yeah, like higher temperature, being able to, you know, have those fluctuating temperatures and still relatively, you know, sort of being in check where if you did that with your classical strains, it'd be, you know, potentially quite awful. Right. Um, and then just yeah, being able to sort of beat it around the bush, like, um, uh, you know, like there was like all these stories coming out of, um, you know, people having, you know, finding, you know, dried, you know, flakes of, um, uh, of these yeast types and, uh, you know, throwing it in a, a pot, even though it's been sitting around for a few years. And then the next day it's like, you know, halfway through nearly completed fermentation. Like it's, um, yeah, magical stuff. Um, yeah, it just, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a good feel good story, I guess, for the brewing world that, um, all these magical strains uh, from sort of, you know, Norway and, and around those areas would sort of come to be. Why did it just sort of explode? Uh, uh, did, did it just, someone just figure it out and, and discover it or was it, had it been used over there for quite a while and then somehow someone let slip? And, uh, uh, and yeah, the secret? good question. Like I'd have to like... Um, sort of, I guess, like hit the literature and the, the blogs and stuff to sort of get the real lowdown on how this sort of came to be. But, I mean, these strains were, um, you know, like sort of from different like sort of, uh, I'll use the word sort of like uh, little townships and areas and stuff were just sort of like kept and sort of passed down around sort of local farmers and other community members. And then, um, I don't know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure how they um, sort of actually broke into the mainstream, but um, there was a couple of like key strains, like Voss was a was a big one. I think that's sort of in a lot of dried format from other major suppliers at the moment. Um, yeah, but it was yeah, it was a. I'm not I'm not 100 sure. But we hear about every now and then um, there'll be a. Uh, a bottle of wine found at the bottom of the ocean um, at, or a, a bottle of beer or something from from hundreds or thousands of years ago that people are trying to uh, culture a yeast from. Um, does that work? Are we... Like well, how how difficult is that to do? I, I really hope that it's true just because I think it's, it's, it's really cool science. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's got to be. I mean, one. I mean, as long as your your processes are right in the way that they're extracting it out, um, and they're saying what they're getting is real, then yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. But I mean, you can't sort of over overlook, you know, potential contamination of, you know, did mm. another strain sort of in the lab or whatever be on the outside of the bottle or, or whatever. But mm. I hope for most part that those stories are, are true and real because it's um yeah they're really good. What's the most exotic thing you've ever sampled? For beer, for to to sample to to try and culture a yeast from, uh, mm. what's the most exotic thing you've ever, or weirdest thing someone's ever presented to you and said, "Here, I want a flavour profile from this." <laughs> uh, I have a whole bunch of like friends and stuff through the community. They're always cracking jokes about all sorts of uh, 
gross things that I can't sort of talk about on the on the, on the podcast. <laughs> I should be sampling and stuff, but um, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing uh, off the top of my head. Like I'm, I'm keeping it pretty boring in the in PG. I'll say in terms of just different flower and bark samples. Like I try to like you know like you know follow the seasons and you know find um uh you know flavors like i guess like being in the illawarra for example uh you know like doing multiple forage runs on uh you know like known um sort of fruits that are found in the area so illawarra plum for for example um or you know like so if i go to a a, you know a different part of australia or something the the folks would be on sort of something like that Mm. so you haven't okay have you tried the Polish vagina yeast beer? I knew you were going to do that. How <laughs> could I not? I, uh, I I have not. So just reading the little oh, excerpt good. that I've got on my screen here, uh, Polish-based company uh, makes its Yoni beer, which is brewed from the vaginal lactic acid of underwear models. Um, so it's essentially, they, they claim that it's essentially the bottled essence of beautiful, exotic women. Oh, I'm going to the basement. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I, don't know. I don't even know if you can get that in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> On it from a technical level, do you, do you think that would work? Uh, yeah, what, what, I mean, uh, the body's got, you know, we've got a very complex... Is everywhere. Yeah. It is everywhere, thing. yeah. Yeast is yeah, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. There's a cream for that. Sorry, I can't help myself. Where uh, Those sort of things just... I'm worried what other things you have up on your uh, computer screen there now. I have many <laughs> on my computer screen. I have two big screens right here, and I have many things up on them. Um, not all of them vagina... Vagina yeast based, though. So go back to the Illawarra plum. <laughs> so, I've got a question. That's a if euphemism you, if ever I've heard one. If <laughs> if Thanks. you were wrangling, yeah, you, know, you, you were sampling, say, uh, now, for example, right, and then you did it, uh, same tree, um, a year from now, and then a year later. A year from now, from a from a yeast profile perspective, would you expect there to be a similarity, or just through the nature of of variability oh, of it's, sampling? Yeah, and I mean, different. the um, I always expect something different. Like, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that's a yeah a huge study in itself. Like, I mean, you get like similar species. Yeah, um, but, but then again, like sort of as we spoke about earlier, like even though they're the same species, they could be they're going to throw probably completely different, um, you know, flavor profiles. They might have similar fermentation profiles where they might, you know, struggle with, um, you know, processing, you know, more complex sugars. But their right. flavor profile could be anywhere from clean to, you know, you know, really, you know, phenolic or, or whatever. So it is really a moment in time when when you're you're you're, you're taking something and you're and you're developing that strain or cultivating that strain. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it, it is, you know. And I guess that's where like you sort of link that to um, 
uh, I guess like classical, you know, uh, Belgian breweries making wild ales where, you know, like they're only doing that at particular times of year where they're, um, you know, like they're, they've got all their wort in their cool ships and, you know, they, they, they yeah. expose it to the elements during the, you know, yeah, uh, a, a particular season, um, you know, so it is a moment in time sort of collected in a bottle. It's a very yeah. romantic sort of way to, to look at it, but yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Never, I never thought of it like that until now. Yeah, I wonder if that opens up the possibility um, uh, or, or I don't know about viability of of looking at sort of event-based event-based beers or event-based uh, fermentations where you've, you've cultured a yeast that was sampled at that moment in time from that particular area where something happened mm. um be it uh, an annual music festival um uh taking a sample at the end of that or um what would the yeast at burning man be like um that sort of a thing to uh, like a themed place and time type thing would that be possible uh, yeah, look, I mean, if you, as, long as, you, as long as you take the notes on um, when you are, uh, you know, where and when you uh, you took your sample from, like, I mean, we in regards to the other ingredients, particularly like, I mean, in beer, like that sort of attention to detail is sort of it's coming across in, in products that are sold, like uh, breweries, you know, like their, their hop selection process where they go to the hop farmer and they're actually selecting, you know, particular uh, rows of what hops they want to put in their, this particular beer and they, they reference that. Or, you know, like, uh, you know, for, for you guys, I'm sure, like, there's an attention to detail for, you know, particularly like uh, malt that, that you're using, you know, and, uh, you know, mm. things like that. And I guess, yeah, yeast is like probably just another, uh, I guess, like the the last sort of frontier in terms of, of that stuff. I mean, people use water, you know, like um, they say well, that it, it comes from a, like a local water source. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so I guess, yeah, yeast is sort of the, the last one. Mm. Um, so Nick has chimed in, uh, distillery is a form of black fungus on buildings or tin sheds. Can you cultivate the distillery strain wild yeast culture? I was thinking um, about this, this afternoon, actually, like... Um, so sort of like in terms of like having uh, like wild yeast, uh, you know, like, um, but then also, so, I mean, yeah, you guys, your space, like you've used like sort of lab grown commercial quantity yeast strains probably, you know, for, for years and years. And there's, there'd be a whole bunch of that stuff just sort of you know, living in the rafters or, or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, going out and sort of finding an, an isolate of that and, uh, you know, probably, uh, would have like good fermentation profiles and stuff will work hard and then um yeah but i mean like a feral cat it might just be like the original cat but just a bit more bigger meaner and scarier you're not sure what you'll, <laughs> you'll get <laughs> you can play around with that if you want <laughs> yeah cool yeah. uh nick no no uh mick, no covered it nick. nick we covered it move on <laughs> you this. Yeah, you'll have to I, I, Rewind I would, I would bit, Mick. I, I've I've already uh, let that, 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 that one hour and two minutes somewhere there. Yeah, I've yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've let that pussy out of the box. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Mick. Thanks for that little. Yeah. What I what I was going to say is nothing like a bit of fish. Moving on. 
the distilling community. I think there is two schools of thought. There's there's distillers that just they believe that distillers yeast is the way to go. It's a workhorse. It 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 knows what it needs to do, and yeast really doesn't have much play on on, on flavour. It's all about the barrels, all about the barley, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's others that do believe that yeast do come across in distillation. The the flavours do come across in distillation, and it is another flavour lever to play with. Um, and I, I would I would think more and more people uh, they're sort of working through a process. You know, barrels getting the barrels under the under their belt. Barley getting the barrels under, are getting barley under the belt, and yeast is, as you said, the next frontier. Uh, and I, my own opinion, I, I think you're going to see more and more people exploring yeast, um, and you know what what specific flavors can be generated. And then if you take it to the next level, which is yeah, you're, you're sampling and you're you're finding what is your your in-house profile. I, I think that's that's an exciting future. Another whole level of terroir, isn't it? Movable terroir, by the sounds of it, too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mixed and comment. So, Mick, yeah, from a sourdough baker for 25 years, you can definitely get some awesome results with wild. Wild yeast, yes. Yeah. I guess so. A question for you guys. Um, so, like, uh, once you do your mash and, you, you, you know, you're your primary fermentation and stuff like do you have a an idea at that point onwards before you you know like uh before the next steps in your process of flavor profiles that you think the yeast and that will be bringing over to your finished product or is it something more that you've got to wait uh, more down the line till you've got a general like a better idea um so i guess like in the brewing world like yeah. I mean, you know, ales, they potentially, it's quite a quick turnaround for, for your results. You know, you could only be looking at, say, three weeks or something. And then, but, you know, like if you have a yeast strain, you do it three weeks later, you're like, oh, I did that. But, like, I guess that's where it's, like, a harder uh, nut to crack, I guess, in, like, the, the, the space for exploring this sort of stuff is uh, you've got to wait a long time for your for your finished product, right? Oh, well, you, you did, you, you did, you right. that point in time. Um, if you take it at the, the fermentation point, and, I mean, Crafty, Todd, we've spoken about this at length um, on the podcast, that to make a good whiskey, you start with making a good beer. Mm. So I would imagine the, the, the process of selecting the flavour is still going to be the same, correct me if I'm wrong, Crafty, um, what the bigger variable is how will it, how will that flavour come across after distillation, if at all? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll comment on, on Craftworks, uh, and we're, we're doing it a, way, a particular way, um, and others are doing it different ways. Um, so we basically open-top ferment. Uh, we don't have temperature control. Uh, we generally ferment for seven days. And we don't really have a lot of control at times. Right. So we don't have a, have a lot of control, definitely. Um, and that's part of the way we make it, the why we make it that way. Um, but it's also we just don't have, we don't have all the all the you know, the expensive equipment. Um, oh. But what I look for is it's um, it's a very acidic wash uh, once I finish. 
and I like that because I'm looking for ester generation as much as possible for those those fruity notes. And depending on on the yeast I use, and generally I use distiller's yeast, but sometimes in the cooler months I'll switch and, and co-pitch with uh, Belgium yeast uh, with distiller's yeast. And what's coming off at the distillation, the, the you know before it starts to run, you can you can just smell it as pineapples. It's pineapples or mangoes or it, it's it's very very fruity. Um, but I know distillers that don't open top ferment. Um, their washes are not acidic, and you know that's not not what they're after. So it really depends on you know, the individuals and what they know and what they're trying to achieve, I guess. But um, there's a lot of, there's, I know a few distillers experimenting with yeast uh, in controlled conditions. So, yeah, that's the best way I can answer it. Because the only way to properly experiment is under controlled conditions. Otherwise, Correct. yeah, yeah. And we are not I mean, controlled. The, so. <laughs> the, the main difference between fucking around and science is writing it down. That's my understanding of it anyway. <laughs> Having a laboratory and controlled environment, that's that's beneficial. That helps. Mick, she said she likes an open top fermentation. That's so Mick. <laughs> and on that note. Oh, no, You're devolving into something. Yes, yes. So do we have any questions? We've 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 passed the hour mark and we don't want to uh, uh, keep Josh too much longer. If there are any other questions uh, from those in the audience, uh, please post them up now and we will get them or try to get them answered. Um, where do you think uh, the the yeast, what is the yeast industry in Australia? Are you it? Uh, no. So there's a, there's a couple of other, I mean, there's uh, multiple um, dried yeast um, suppliers from overseas that are sort of well-established here that, are, I mean, you guys are probably using a bunch of their products. Um, and then there's a, a couple of other Australian liquid, uh, liquid yeast uh, manufacturers as well um, located in, in other states. So yeah, I mean, Mogwai is the only one based in, in New South Wales. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, we are very pleased and proud to have you as a sponsor of the yes. program. So thank you yeah, very much. That, yeah. Absolutely. No, no. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Glad to, glad to have you on board. Um, and definitely, I think yeast is, it's, I mean, without it, we can't do, we you can't make this. Sticky we can't water. Make water. Yeah, that's it. It's sticky water. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so yeast, I guess, is the unsung hero. Uh, a lot, a lot is said about the barrel in 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 distilling. Uh, a lot is said about the age and whatnot. Um, but the yeast, without that and without a good uh, base culture, you've got fuck all uh, to call alcohol. Uh, yeah, well, look, I think it's. I mean, I'm a, a yeast provider, but at the same time, it's it's up to. I mean, you guys and and you know other other people beverage makers are you know doing all the hard work and sort of driving those flavor profiles to create you know finely crafted you know beautiful products you know so you're um yeah the real yeast whisperers i'll say <laughs> <laughs> so one last question from from myself is what do you want to see happen in the yeast space in australia what would you like to see 
brewers and distillers doing and asking you for? Uh, look, I think like, I mean, um, just uh, the Australian craft beverage sector, is a, it's an extremely, yeah, as I said earlier, it's just a very exciting place to to be and just, you know, creativity, innovations everywhere. And uh, and uh, just, uh, I mean, as you mentioned just before, like um, you, you, you've, uh, you're seeing like, um, uh, you know, more and more distillers starting to explore the, you know, the, the yeast space you know, slowly but surely and, you know, sort of innovating in in those ways. So I think, like, there's uh, what we're seeing is just the, the 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 right trend, I think, and just being a part of it's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Nick has posted a question. Do you play with koji? Uh, koji? Koji? And use for sake or rice ferment? Uh, not at this stage, but it's on the, you know, uh, the, the to-do list at some point in the the future but um yeah definitely want to play around with you know like more food fermentations and sort of delve into that sort of stuff but, uh yeah once i'm a little bit more established mm. cool cool uh nick is actually making a rice whiskey um mm. and i do need to hit him up to find out how much how far along that is uh last time we tasted it it was pretty damn good uh, so I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing how that turns out. Um, in bottling stage at the moment. He's in bottling. I'm pretty sure he's in bottling now. Nick, Nick can make a comment hopefully about Sample. that. <coughs> Sample. Sample. Bottling first releases. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. Any other final questions or no? Uh, otherwise. Shall I throw Todd under the bus, or are we too no, late? We can, but, but it might not work. Or we roll the, or roll the credits. Or we'll roll the credits. All right, roll the credits. Thank you all. Please uh, like and subscribe. I've rebuilt the website from the ground up, and I think it's looking pretty schmick, so please do jump on and have a look. Uh, oh, like us on Facebook and all the rest of it, and <coughs> uh, feel free to leave a review on uh, YouTube or Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you are listening. Uh, thank you again. Please visit mogwilabs.com.au. Um, where did Mogwai come from? Uh, do you want the professional answer or just the... No, the I like to think that... <laughs> well, we'll we'll get back to Google it earlier. Greenland. Yeah, associating yeast with gremlins, and that it's a it's a marriage of that. That's the nerd in me. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, look, it's um. Uh, so I guess like, uh, uh yeah, it, it comes from uh, that concept where you know, like a gremlin or a mogwai turns into a gremlin. So transition and change. So uh, from a yeast perspective, it's like from creating you know uh, creating a final fermented beverage product. Um, but the, the name itself, so it was kind of an easy one for me to label the business. So it was a nickname for me given to me, uh, back in university where if I yeah, had a couple too many drinks after midnight, I would, uh, transform <laughs> um, yeah, but then I sort of applied that to, uh, to sound a little bit more professional, um, which I think works, uh, for, for the business. Love it. Love it. Thank you. That's On good. that note. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us. 
and uh we will catch you todd are we, are we on next week no we we get a we get a breather next week and you. then i need to check up who we've got the week after right actually that's quite convenient because i fly to tassie that day so yep we'll be back in maybe two weeks uh which will be roughly so, so for all of the punters out there we are slowly moving back into once a fortnight broadcasting yep. as opposed to trying to keep up the weekly because um it's a bit tiring for some of us at times we love it we love it but we do love it it can be difficult for people to commit all the time yeah not us but them other people yeah. So we will be back. Uh, stay tuned to Facebook and we'll uh, post up when the next one is. Uh, thank you all. Thank you, Josh. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And again, thank you for being an awesome sponsor. Uh, mm -hmm. Credits time. Ciao.